Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about The Field Guide to the North American Teenager by Ben Philippe. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books. Have you tried the Radio Public app? It's a great app where you can find all of your favorite podcasts like this one. You'll experience the same great content for free and will receive a small kickback every time you listen there. This is a great way to support any podcast you enjoy. Come find us over on Radio Public. Welcome, y'all. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet. I'm Amanda Thrasher. And I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. And our guest today is Carissa Peck, a high school teacher who does a little bit of everything. Hi, Carissa. Hi, everyone. Carissa, you teach tech and yearbook, and I know you've also taught ELA and ESL and taught abroad. How do you do it all? God, teaching's just so teaching no matter what, right? I mean... No matter what, you're focusing on those connections with the students, and no matter what, you're focusing on scaffolding and getting them interested in the topic. I will always, always, always have that deep love of literature. I bring it into my speech class. I bring it into my tech classes. My yearbook kids still have to look at how things are set up in real books and magazines, but this kind of helps me sneak it in ways they might not expect. I love it, and I love your Instagram, at Melting Teacher. And I was wondering if you had any favorite recent activities you wanted to share with our listeners. Recently, um, in every single one of my classes, we did a really corny activity where we wrote our regrets on toilet paper. And then we took a field trip to the local co-ed bathroom and flushed our regrets away so we could start fresh in 2019. I love it. That's great. Anytime you can get toilet paper in the classroom, right? They were psyched. <laughs> When Norris's mother gets a job as a professor in Austin and his father can't quite fit a teenager in the same house as his new wife and baby, Norris knows he's in for a culture shock. After all, he's seen tons of TV shows and movies showing what it's like in an American high school, and he knows that a black French-Canadian is bound to have a hard time fitting in. He chronicles his anthropological observations of his new classmates in a journal and is determined to keep his mouth shut. Maybe. Will Norris ever make friends in this cultural wilderness? Will he ever get to play hockey again? We'll find out in this week's book, The Field Guide to the North American Teenager. So Amanda, what did you think of this book? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good, light read. I really liked having another, um, you know, snarky YA voice. There was a lot of them. For a while, like 10 or 15 years ago, we had a ton of like snarky teen girl protagonist, but I'm not sure I ever read any male protagonist that had this level of like judgy cattiness. And I thought it was a nice difference. And I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good twist on that well-worn narration. What did you think? I liked this book. I thought it was a fun read. I thought that Norris's voice was very engaging. I liked the characters. I really liked the development of the three settings that we have. We have the school, we have the restaurant, and we have a hockey rink. But I still really felt what life was like in that restaurant, even though it wasn't the primary setting. And I think that Ben Philippe just did a great job of developing all of these settings and characters in a way that was really immersive and made me feel like I was in school with Norris. What did you think, Carissa? I totally agree. Um, when I taught in Mexico, one of my 
co-teachers was Canadian. And she used to always talk about the Canadian voice and CanCon and how we really don't get a lot of it. And I love that this usually polite picture of Canada with their please and their thank yous and their excuse me's. It's a teenager. Of course, it's snarky. Of course, it's vaguely inappropriate. And it's (laughs) great whenever students can see, I, I always think of students when I'm reading that, you know, Canada's not just how they see on TV, just like Norris has to see what America's really like. Yeah, for sure. And I had a couple questions for you, Carissa, regarding that. Like, did you feel like when Norris was saying, oh, high school here is so different from Canada, did you feel like it actually was different from Canada or that he was like projecting for the duration of his like resistance to his situation? Oh, completely the latter. I mean, there's always some element of differences between national schools. And there's also the fact that he's dealing with more stereotypes, perhaps on his end, but he wanted to not fit in. And so he saw everything as different. Yeah, because I mean, essentially, like, teenagers are teenagers everywhere. Mm -hmm. Basically. Yeah. And he was judgy. And one of the things that really caught me up until I realized that Ben Philippe was doing it intentionally is that Norris is all like, Austin is terrible. It's backwards and whatever. And I'm like, Austin is cool. I haven't even been there. And I know it's the coolest place in Texas. It is funny that when you mention Austin, it is known as kind of like being that little circle within Texas that's not quite Texas. I mean, you definitely still have the weather. You definitely still have everything. But it's a little more like Canada, probably. Yeah. I really, you mentioned the weather and I loved like (laughs) the omnipresence of this oppressive heat. Like I felt that deeply, like just moving from Florida and it's very similar. Why is it this temperature all the time? (laughs) Who chose to live here? (laughs) Yeah. That particular line, who decided this would be the place where we would live? And he sees the statue of the guy Gets very angry at him. And I I felt that. I felt that inside me. (laughs) Yes. All of the discussions with how many shirts he needed to wear and how he felt like he couldn't breathe. I I related. Absolutely. You said that he felt like he wasn't going to fit in and therefore didn't fit in. But at the end of the day, he still was a black French Canadian, which did make him different. Completely. And that's something that I also think is pretty interesting for students to read. I don't know about your students, but my students always really struggle with the difference between Black and African-American and the fact that not all African-Americans want to identify as Black and definitely not all Blacks identify as African-American. I always show them a picture of my friend who is South African, um, thus not American at all, and also uh, Bob Marley, who is Jamaican, and that blows their mind (laughs) that they're not the same. So I can totally see how going in the middle of Austin, as amazing as it is, he's showing up as this conundrum for people. He's not polite. He's not this big, tall, white hockey guy. Like, what is he trying to say he's Canadian for? Yeah. And he even has the interaction with the guidance counselor who doesn't understand that he's bilingual. So, like, preps Mm -hmm. him all the ESL welcome materials. She seems so sad that she didn't need them. (laughs) She was like ready to bust out her high school French. You know, it's exciting when you finally get to use that language. She tries real hard. (laughs) We have some secondary characters here that we'll get more into in the spoiler section. Um, We have Liam, who really wants to play hockey with Norris after 
Norris's mom puts out a flyer asking people to play hockey with her son. And get this, it's in Comic Sans. Very on brand, zeroing in on the font there. <laughs> yes. So I liked that, like, nod to the nerdery of fonts. Um, you know, fonts say something about you. And Comic Sans says the most. <laughs> and she's a professor. She should know better. I'm just saying. <laughs> we also have Maddie, who is a cheerleader and works at the restaurant. Her dad is actually the owner of the restaurant. And so she is very present and she is amazing. And I wanted to share a Maddie moment. So Norris is super judgy, y'all. And he shares with her that he has a gay best friend back in Canada. Not like a gay best friend TM, but just like a gay best friend. And she says, well, your friend is obviously going to hell for being a godless heathen. And everything Norris thinks he's going to learn about Austin is confirmed in this moment. And then Maddie's like... God, you're such a martyr. I'm clearly joking. Like, Austin is super progressive. <laughs> yeah, I liked that a lot, too. I really, I loved Maddie. I thought that, like, from the beginning, she knew what Norris's expectations of her were and was, like, perfectly happy to play with them. Like, she didn't back down from that she was a cheerleader and was friends with all the football players and jocks, and she was very comfortable in who she was and... And in Austin. And in Austin. She wanted to stay there. Yeah, she was She was a very secure character. I liked her so much. Me too. She really did remind me of so many cheerleader friends that I had. And I will admit, in high school, I was the one that was like, oh, cheerleaders? Like, mm. Oh, yeah, no. absolutely. And then I got to be their friends and they were these amazing people. And yes, they had bows in their hair. And yes, they had really high ponytails. Yes, they could do the splits, but my God, were they nice and kind and always there for me. Absolutely. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like a latte. Then we'll return to our discussion of the field guide to the North American teenager and dig a little deeper. Hey, friends, are you sitting there thinking, this podcast is awesome? I know, me too, right? Well, here's how to support us and our authors. Order our book choices through our affiliate links. We'll get a small kickback. And of course, you'll be supporting the author. Everybody wins. Next week, we're going to do a throwback episode and discuss Meredith Russo's If I Was Your Girl. This was a Stonewall Book Award winner in 2016. And Meredith Russo has a new book, Birthday, coming out on May 21st, so we just wanted to make sure that we were all caught up. If you'd like to help us keep bringing you great content, order this book through the link in our show notes. Happy reading! Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Danielle, what's your brew of choice this week? Well, Amanda. Well, Danielle. As you know, because you've literally been on the couch with me, we have watched Marie Kondo's new show on Netflix, Tidying Up, and I have been so intrigued by this cultural moment, both with the reception of the new Netflix show. Like, KonMari's been a thing for, you know, a few years now, but there's like a revived conversation about the method. There's criticism of the method in the show, and then there's criticism of the criticism of the method in the show. Love it. For example, 
one example of criticism of the show that I think that is really interesting was that there was this article in The Guardian about how, like, you can't just choose books that make you happy. Like, books also have these other functions, like making you think hard about the world or making you sad or, like, you know, having an emotional catharsis. And then criticism of the criticism of the show says things like, first of all, Chris, I'm sure you can relate to this, like, maybe spark joy encompasses something wider in the original Japanese than it does in English. Right. Because translation is tricky. And then also, you know, people have been making fun of Marie Kondo, like, hugging books and thanking them for their service and sending them on in the world, or hugging spoons, or, you know, thanking tables. But making fun of her doing that is like making fun of her worldview that incorporates some amount of animism and like Shinto religion and like how she is culturally shaped by those things. And so I just I am loving this cultural conversation. That is great. Thanks, Daniel. How about you, Carissa? What's your brew of choice this week? It's got much less cultural, but nonetheless as important. NFL players telling bad jokes. (laughs) And I do not mean bad as in inappropriate. I mean like dad jokes. I love dad jokes. And they basically have these contests where they'll both tell them to each other um, in a series and the first person to laugh loses. And I love it because they're so competitive and the (laughs) guy that wins with like, you know, how do you make a tissue dance? You put a little boogie in it. will you know, do a touchdown dance and in your face and they're fantastic. And it's a great way to show my students, especially my high school boys that are all into image that you can be a goofball and you can tell these stupid jokes and still be ridiculously talented. (gasps) I can't wait to watch all of these. That sounds great. I'm excited about it. How about you, Amanda? So this week I found an orchestra that has been doing their thing for a while. They are a Berlin orchestra called, I'm going to butcher this and I'm sorry, it's German, Concert House Orchestra Berlin, I think. They have made this series of videos where they use their instruments um, in this style of music called Foley, where it's like, it's sound art, where you use the instruments to imitate sounds in real life. And they have created the sounds of Berlin. So they have video of people like, walking down the street to, you know, somebody plucking a violin bow and all of the different possibilities of how to produce sounds and instruments. And I really like it. I love like just the creative use of sound and space and like just seeing the world in a different way. So I have really enjoyed that. That's the Sounds of Berlin Orchestra. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll return to our discussion on the field guide to the North American teenager. The rest of the show will contain spoilers, so if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be back. Welcome back, y'all, to the YA Cafe. We're continuing our discussion on the Field Guide to the North American Teenager by Ben Philippe. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers! All right, so this Field Guide that we've got, the super judgy notebook. Yes, and obviously it's going to get read by all the people because that's what happens when you have a notebook where you write down all of your mean little asides about your classmates. It's like he's never read a book. (laughs) Well, you know, we can't all be so lucky as to grow up on Harriet the Spy. 
<laughs> Even she got found out. And she had dumb waiters to hide in. <laughs> so Harriet the Spy sparked my love of dumb waiters, and I'm fascinated by them. And I just always wanted to hide in a dumb waiter, and now I never will. We just have to find you a really big dumbwaiter. Just an enormous dumbwaiter. And then later we got to see Michelle Trachtenberg on Buffy, all grown up. That was great. What is Michelle Trachtenberg? She was Harriet the Spy. Oh, I never saw it. (laughs) Pure literary. Pure literary. Oh, was that a movie? I've never heard of it. I'm far too noble for such base interests. That seems like a very Norris comment to make, (laughs) ma'am. That is a very Norris comment. (laughs) Oh, was there a movie? I didn't know. All right. Can we talk about the L.I.? The lithium? What is the L.I.? (laughs) The love interest. That is not an accepted acronym. (laughs) You're not an accepted acronym. I mean, that's fair. But, okay, let's talk about the love interest, as normal people would call it. Uh, Well, I mean, which love interest? (gasps) spoilers well we're we're in the park (laughs) there was a whole thing i said it i don't know if you got it but yeah okay so first love interest Artie. i loved Artie to start at the very beginning i really found her a likable character when she was first first introduced and it was Artie and cheerleaders i liked that moment too i thought that was really interesting and i liked how one-dimensional everybody else seemed except Artie. yeah and she seemed awesome and interesting and like snarky and then she got bad like she just got uninteresting and mean yeah i think uh aloofness is not a quality i like in people in real life or in fiction i think i like when people are genuine and like norris in his way was genuine and his like need to be funny and liked and i mean not liked but his need to be acknowledged as a funny character or funny person. Yeah. So I feel like there's a genuineness in that, but just like the distance and the silences. I don't know. I wasn't, I don't like it. I like how it started it, it, with that classic, um, I don't know her a lot. And because I don't know her a lot, I like her. And then as the more you get to know her, the more you realize, wow, this isn't actually a person I should like. Yes. And it was like, oh, here is someone who is different than everything I was expecting. Until you find out that stuff that you expected to be bad wasn't that bad anyways. Yes. And in terms of the second love interest, which whatever, <laughs> like, I didn't see the Maddie thing coming. I was hoping for a strong boy-girl friendship. You know, she spends a lot of time with him at the restaurant because it's her family's restaurant. And they have great conversation about a number of things. And she sees through him, like I said in the first part, and I love her. But like, I hoped for friendship and I wasn't even expecting anything else. It's like I've never read a book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is disappointing when everything always has to end in romance. It is disappointing when it always has to be the pretty girl. It is disappointing when you feel like you're always going there and then the students expect that and then they don't see that in their lives and then they don't know why. Yes, I would 100% agree with you. And I love what you said, Carissa, before we started recording, which was he doesn't actually get the girl at the end. He only like apologizes to the girl for being an idiot. And then it's kind of like left to see what happens next. I did like that, like how it was kind of unresolved at the end. Um, I'm not sure if I love like the persistence will win the day 
Because, like, sometimes girls just want to be left alone. <laughs> like, what did y'all think about that? I agree. I agree that there's a point to persistence. Like, okay, fine, show that you actually care. Show that you're actually in it for the long run. And his persistence isn't stalkery. He's not waiting outside her house. He's not, you know, chilling by the locker room. But I did like that it showed, you know, you can apologize and you can realize you made a mistake, but that doesn't mean you're forgiven and you can move on. Like, yeah, yeah. I thought that was really well done. I thought that maybe they'll be friends again. Mm -hmm. Maybe they won't be. Maybe they'll never be romantic, but she doesn't owe him anything. Right. So I do want to share this thing that she says at the very end that I really love. Nora says, I guess I guess I do judge people. I'll say. Maddie gestured at the notebook as she snapped it firmly shut. But guess what? You may turn your nose up at the cheerleaders and the jocks and the mental patient, as you so nicely put it. You may sit in your room cackling over our predictable habits, but the rest of us are just trying our hardest to make it through each day being who we are. And I'll tell you right now, you are as profoundly basic as the rest of us, Canada. Actually, no, you're worse, because at least the football team boys aren't pretending to be better than everyone else in a hundred mile radius. And I love that. I love that she calls him out. Have you guys um, done any reading or seen all the things when they talk about why it's dangerous when you classify negative things as basic? Tell me more. So they've started talking about how it's really just taking what is popular for teenage females who are this huge demographic anyways and suddenly penalizing them for enjoying what's popular. And I just think that's a really interesting take on especially what's being said here that, yeah, okay, you know, these people are quote unquote basic, but they're doing what they love. And so what if it's popular? Mm. That's a really cool point. And I, and I think that, like, if I'm understanding you correctly, like Maddie really embodies that because she is the one who is like content to be in Austin. And that's awesome to her. And just because it's not you know as much as Norris thought that he wanted in the world like it's not it's not bad that she wants to be near her family and attend all these family gatherings and hang out with the friends that she's made in high school right and it's not bad to want to be a cheerleader just like it's not bad to want to be a jazz dancer and it's not bad to want to be a color guard um that we can't necessarily as part of counterculture perhaps go against what's popular just because it's popular i want to circle back a little bit back to the beginning where we have Norris viewing everything through his lens of I've seen TV and movies and I know what American high schools are like. I found a lot of that to fall pretty flat. Like I love a snarky protagonist, but I felt like his observations were not specific enough to be interesting, if that makes sense. Like like because he does say things like, oh, the jocks shove the nerds into the lockers. Like, well, no, they don't. Like that's not really a thing anybody does anymore. Like... Mm. He didn't mention, like, cyberbullying or, like, anything that's more recent. Or just, like, the small, like, little details that I think would have made it seem more realistic, more current, and more fleshed out than, like, these tropes. And, like, I get that, like, part of it is Norris is, like, mapping all of these tropes onto what he sees, but I really, I thought that it did not work super well. Thoughts? Even some of the brief, like, analyses, just things that he jotted down did seem very one-dimensional, almost overly one-dimensional. Like you copy and paste them from any teen movie in the 80s and just kind of slide them in. Yeah, that's what I think it is. I think it, the core of it is that it felt outdated. His observations felt outdated and not like a current high school environment. Yeah, he also chatted on 
AIM or whatever. Yeah. Clearly they have WhatsApp. They all have WhatsApp. <laughs> Why is he talking to Eric on the computer? I don't know. That is a danger with um, YA books nowadays. I mean, if you start writing a book two years ago and you start talking about Snapchat, I don't know if that's going to be here in a year. Yeah. I think like a two year, two or three year buffer is like, yeah, you expect that. But this is like, I don't know. I think it's been seven or eight years, seven or eight years or more since people were like typing in text speak, you know, like because even when we were in high school, people weren't really doing that anymore. And that was like 15, 16 years ago. So I mentioned like the lack of specificity in the high school is like the opposite of the specific way that the restaurant is built and especially key lime pie season. Like, that is like a, that's a really, it was a sharp plot point, I thought. I mean, it wasn't quite a plot point, but it was a sharp uh, moment moment in a restaurant. And I think that, like, anybody who has worked in any kind of family business or restaurant or anything like that sees, like, oh, yeah, key lime pie season. (laughs) Like, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I was going to ask, did either of you ever work in food service? Because I didn't. So this was really fun. I did. I worked in food service in college and then in the coffee shop. And so it was like pumpkin spice latte, right? That was the <laughs> pumpkin spice everything. Yeah, basic. <laughs> I do think that a bit of modernity, a bit of the less, well, obviously one dimensional would be Liam. Yes. I really enjoyed that character. I felt like he was a little sporadic. I kind of would have liked more of him. I agree. He was a very necessary grounding force i think in the book i don't love to postulate on these things a lot but i feel like liam is the sort of character who in an earlier draft was probably more prevalent and then a publisher Mm -hmm. could have been like more romance maybe i can see that one of the things i liked at the end was like norris is gonna go back to canada and it was so close to the end that i was like oh my is he really going back to Canada? Like, what is happening? And then at the very last minute, he has that cinematic, like, stop everything. I don't want to go. And then he notes that it's actually very expensive to change everything (laughs) at the last minute and not as easy as it is shown to be in movies. And I loved it. Every single time I watch something in a movie where somebody is running at the last minute or catches a cab and, you know, follow that car and you have that suspension of disbelief where you're like, there's no way. Yeah, this this was for you. (laughs) (laughs) This was the no. And and then like we talked about a little before, but this also went into the emotional stuff. Isn't that easy? You don't get to just say, never mind, I'm not leaving. Let's have everything go back to normal. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, that was part of the Maddie thing, right? Like, it's not just going to go back. Like, he has to regain some stuff. But there is a little bit of fantasy here at the end that he could, you know, go back to Austin after having told them that he was going to leave with his tail between his legs. One thing I wanted to cover before we ended the podcast was I really like that it is clear in this book that what is preventing Norris from enjoying Austin And the people that he meets there is Norris and his unhappiness and his depression at having to leave Canada. And I so strongly related to that because when I was 13, I moved from North Carolina to Oregon and I left a very large city in North Carolina and I moved to a very small town in Oregon and I had all of these like judgy notions about the people that I was going to meet there. On my first day on the bus, I saw somebody with a horse tied up to their basketball hoop. And I was like, (laughs) where am I? 
this is not okay. I went from an eighth grade class of like, we had like 150 people on our team and like 300 people in eighth grade. And then I went to a class of 28 and I was like, no. (laughs) And I had all this resistance. And so I really like saw myself in that. Like, I think my teenage self would have benefited from this book. I think this is a very strongly recommendable book. I definitely laughed out loud. I definitely liked it. As much as I felt like some parts were super predictable and a little cliche and possibly trite, um, there were also some parts where I was like, wow, didn't see that coming. Um, But when I went back and re-skimmed, I mean, he did a pretty good job of laying foundations. There were hints, there were clues. I just hadn't seen them. And overall, it was a fun read. And that's our show for today, friends. Thank you so much for joining us, Carissa. Thanks for having me. It was fun. You can find Carissa on Instagram and Twitter at Melting Teacher. You can find us at YA Cafe Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review. Happy reading. <laughs>